Hello, I'm Peter Dunn from the University of Warwick's Communications Office, and I'm here today with Professor Charles Shepherd from the University of Warwick's Department of Biological Sciences. And we're going to talk today about a massive new area of the Indian Ocean, which the British government has, has decided will be a no-fishing area. And we're going to talk about why that is, how that is, and what Charles's role was in its production. So, tell us, Charles, it, it's big from what I'm told. It's protecting the largest coral atoll reef in the world. How, how big is this no-fishing area we've created? Right, well, the whole area exceeds about half a million square kilometres. Um, it's about the size of France, I suppose. The, it contains five atolls in there with islands, and it contains about a dozen other atolls which are actually submerged for various geological reasons, and a lot of reefs as well. Um, most of it, though, is still open, deep blue water, and the only inhabited atoll at the moment is Diego Garcia, which is known for housing a military base. It's an American, um, well, it's actually a naval facility with Air Force facility there as well. And um, that's in the extreme southeast. So that atoll occupies about 1% of the area, less than 1% of the area of the whole Chagos archipelago, way down in the southeast corner. The rest of it is uninhabited. Why have we done this? Why have we made this massive area an area where no one can fish in? And what was your role in making that come about? My role in it, first of all, was that um, I've been the organiser of a lot of the scientific research expeditions that have gone there. They've been done out of Warwick, and altogether I've been able to take probably 50 to 70 scientists from around the world to go there at intervals of a year or three, depends on permissions and what's going on there, and so on. But I've chosen first-rate people from other institutions from a range of countries now to put together a program of science which has established both how remarkable the place is and also which have answered questions which allow our government to comply with some of its international obligations, like biodiversity conventions and so on like that. Why there... And why now? Well, why now is partly because of the rapidly declining state of most of the rest of the Indian Ocean. It's in a dire condition, and because of bad environmental practices, I mean, millions of people are dying from malnutrition because habitats have been exhausted or eliminated, destroyed. This area, for historical reasons, has not been inhabited for 30 to 40 years and is in remarkably good condition. And I would say that the reason for its protection is as much because of its good state, but also because of the dire state of most of the rest of the Indian Ocean. So of all the reefs of the Indian Ocean which are in quite good condition, which themselves is a minority, by the way, uh, this archipelago contains approximately half, all within one large but discrete area, without a population that have to exploit it heavily in order to live, and with a governance which makes it possible. At the same time, the Pew Foundation, a few years ago, started to look for areas of the ocean which were amenable to massive, substantial and effective conservation. It's called their legacy programme. That came about because of the realisation, I think, that the oceans, especially the tropical oceans, are in free fall. They really are, and the people who are being hit most by it are the local people in, in this case, in the Indian Ocean Rim. Their first success was the Hawaiian Islands, the Northeast Hawaiian Islands chain. Then they did 
the Marianas Trench region, and this is the first in the Indian Ocean. Indeed, it's the only one in the Indian Ocean. Nowhere in the Caribbean is worth this kind of attention. It's, it's too far degraded already. They have another two after this their eyes are on. So they have a massive um, administrative and supportive infrastructure which we tapped into. They tapped into me and us. We tapped into them. So together we managed to persuade the government that this really would be a tremendous service for the Indian Ocean as a whole. You mentioned that there are still people living inside this area who you said don't have to get take that much out of it. But surely they have to take something. Isn't this putting fish and animals ahead of the humans still living within the island? No, the only people who inhabit it are on the military base, which itself has pretty tough environmental controls. They don't get their living from their own environment. Everything's flown in, shipped in. It's an American small uh, town, if you like, which is entirely supported from other countries elsewhere, such as America itself. There are no local people who have to exploit the oceans, and that is the reason why. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's the reason why it is in such remarkably good state now. Yeah, but, but there are some people who would argue there were some people living on those islands before that military base was there. Are we still putting the rights of the fish ahead of them? Surely this is protecting fish more than people still. I don't think it's quite like that. Um, the Indian Ocean needs this place in good condition to export larvae, to serve as a reference site, and a number of other reasons. The Indian Ocean and the communities there depend on there being a lot of good, healthy reef. The reefs are the most productive and diverse system in that ocean. Millions of people depend on it, and the reefs in most inhabited areas around the Indian Ocean are actually collapsing. Millions of people are starving as a result. The Indian Ocean's people need Chagos and more to be kept in as good condition as is possible. This is one of the last great hopes, if you like, for the Indian Ocean ecosystems and therefore its people. So the reefs act in some way as a nursery of the food supply of, of many of the, the countries around the Indian Ocean? Then they, they... Yes, they do. They do. They are highly productive. We already know for, from the small amount of work that's been done so far, which is increasing, that they export uh, protein, basically, species, in an east and west direction. Um, they are a stepping stone for marine species in the Indian Ocean, yes. So they're a massively important stepping stone. If that stepping stone was gone, the fish sim simply wouldn't move or simply wouldn't grow, simply wouldn't start. It's starting to look that way. But there's another reason why as well. Um, people in the Indian Ocean are trying to restore their reefs, too late in a lot of cases, but all the managers there are trying to aim for, for what? It, it's a long-lost memory of what most reefs should look like. And this archipelago shows them what a healthy reef, in a pre-man condition, if you like, does look like. So for science and for the ability for, for managers to aim towards um, a restoration, they need to look at somewhere like Chagos in a scientific sense. And I've seen references to the reefs providing building materials to local people as well, but by taking stuff from the reefs for building materials, are they damaging the reefs, or is this sustainable? No, it isn't, and you see that in the Maldives, where many um, small towns there and the capital city are built largely out of coral rock. It was the only material they had. By doing that, you drop the height of the reef, you kill the reef top, and you're more prone to flooding. 
Um, a little bit of that happened in plantation days in the Shagos archipelago, but it hasn't happened for a very long time, and the reefs completely recovered from those days. So how do you police all this? We, we, we've seen that it's uh, understood now that it's a good thing to do, but it's a huge area, as you mentioned before. So how do you police such a huge area and stop people taking fish or damaging the coral reef? Well, there have been... Um, here and there, there have been poaching problems. Sea cucumbers and shark, blue water poachers as well. How it is done now, with the licensed tuna fishery that exists, is with a biot ship that patrols the area. And every now and again it arrests poachers who come mainly from the poorer countries around the Indian Ocean. Um, that will be maintained and work is underway now to see how this can be augmented. There are now a lot of rather sophisticated means of detection and these are going to be increasingly employed. And so you say arrest, what, what penalty is there? I heard something about £100,000 fines and boat confiscations, is that...? Yes, I think the fines can go up to that amount, but it's unrealistic to levy that sort of fine for, for a poor fisherman, um, of course, so they are, are adjusted according to what is thought would be a deterrent for the future. But the, the ship does succeed in arresting quite a lot. And let's talk about the science as well, because science is what started this. Uh, I'm told that uh, the islands are so pure that the, the reef area is uh, so resilient and it's particularly useful for future science to protect it that it's like a, a base point you could start measuring from. Is that, is that right? Well, that's correct, and from our point of view here, it's probably one of the most important, certainly the most interesting um, aspect. In 1998, a very large portion of the corals of the Indian Ocean were wiped out as a part of the global warming trend. Many reefs in the Indian Ocean stayed in a destroyed state. They are not able and have not actually recovered. And the reason is they have sewage, overfishing, industrial pollution, the whole range of things that usually accompany people. Chagos didn't have any of that and has shown itself to be enormously resilient. It has bounced back to a state which it was, um, you know, many decades ago. It's sort of like a time machine. It's, um, if you look underwater there, you're, like, you're seeing something like you could have seen in many places 50 or 100 years ago. There are so few places left where you can see that. It's because of the lack of other human impacts, like overfishing, sewage, and all the rest of it, uh, which has given Chagos a robustness so that the ecosystem has rebounded so quickly to... Um, not a pristine state, I don't like that word myself, but to a state which is ecologically first class. Some of the pollutant levels are below one part per trillion, I've read. Is that true? Yes, it is. Um, sometimes we burn down instruments trying to detect any of it. And this applies also to the inhabited atoll, where the base is, on Diego Garcia, in fact. We've, we've analysed for a range of substances, all the usual, such as oils and uh, what you might expect after fuel spills or whatever, like that, and also anti-fouling substances on the hulls of ships, and um, with very rare exceptions, that there's just nothing there. The only interesting one we have found is a bit of copper in an uninhabited atoll in the north, which we think was probably introduced with some spilled uh, fungicide left over from the, from the coconut plantation days of 60 or more years ago. We're all familiar with these images in the Pacific, of the Great Pacific Gar, full of plastic bags and rubbish or whatever. Is Chagos free of that? Uh, not on the beaches, no. Large plastic, flotsam, jetsam, um, does end up there, for sure. Uh, and we are conscious 
of not allowing it to reach a state where it could, say, impede turtles, which want to wander on the beach to lay their eggs. Um, we have just embarked on a program of what we call the microplastics. Uh, the answers are unknown as yet, but these are the breakdown, ultimately, of millions of plastic bags down to plankton-sized particles. And plankton-feeding organisms, therefore, would feed on them. And it is thought that in some parts of the world they're a big problem. We don't know if that's the case here or not. Certainly the clarity of the water suggests it is not. But still, as part of the role of this archipelago in forming a global, if you like, baseline or a reference site for every other reef area, we're going to see just what is there. It won't have come from Chagos itself, mm. but it could easily have drifted across from other parts of Asia. And it's not just fish and turtles we're talking about here. I, I see references to seabirds being important on the islands at this talk of, I've, I've seen different references from 17 different types of seabirds that are important to 20 to 33 and talks about 175,000 pairs of birds of rare species are on the islands and these are now also protected in, in, inter, in what, what are called important bird areas. Most of those were already protected in fact under local ordinance which has happened in bits over many years. Um, an IBA or an important bird area is one which houses something like over 5 or or maybe 10% of the total world population of that species. This archipelago has 10, with another two applications in, I understand, to make 12 IBAs within it. The species concerned are not themselves rare, they're just enormously abundant there. Altogether, I think over 100 species have been clocked as having been seen in the archipelago, but we're talking here of the huge rookeries of breeding seabirds that are there in such high abundance. It's worth saying that uh, there used to be many, many more, uh, but when the islands were converted to copra, you know, coconut mm. plantations, many would have been destroyed. And it's only those small islands which um, were too small or too difficult to land on to be farmed for coconuts that are rich like this. The thought or dream of a lot of us that a lot of other islands, larger ones, can be restored to their native oh. condition, in which case we can only guess what the superb advantages would be to the bird life. And by protecting the fish, that I presume that uh, protects the food supply for those birds? Yes, people do overlook that this is a, a very integrated and interlocking ecosystem. Everything depends on everything else, yeah. basically. And one of the great um, changes with this new protection will be the prohibition of offshore tuna fishing, the pelagic fishing, how exactly that affects the inshore system is still being worked out. But tuna do a, a sort of circuit around the Indian Ocean and are one or two months every year in the Chagos Archipelago. So we hope this will give the other tuna populations a respite as well. Because it's no doubt that tuna as well in the Indian Ocean are undergoing very severe stresses and pressure. And, and lastly, while this was a, a great achievement for the current government and a great decision by the current government. We also have a, a, a previous Prime Minister to thank in the shape of Wellington uh, defeating Napoleon in 1814. Uh, as I understand, basically these were all French possessions which uh, we acquired following Wellington's defeat of Napoleon first time round. Is that right? So I believe, but I think that the French themselves might have also done exactly the same uh, kind of measure for protection once they recognised um, the superb state that the archipelago is in.
So your science would have persuaded the French or the British or whoever had to be in charge. But it's good science at the end of the day has produced this result. Yes, it is. And it's the good science of 50 or 60 scientists who I've been fortunate enough to accompany out there. Professor Charles Shepherd, thanks very much.